Well, welcome everybody. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we're in the fourth and the final week in this series, What Happy Families Know. And we said right from the very beginning that these are principles that will certainly help you in your family, but they're, they're good for every single relationship that you find yourself in in your life. And if you haven't been with us, maybe you're just joining in with us, let me give you a quick review of what we've learned so far. We said that in every relationship and in every family, everybody walks into the relationship with a box filled with hopes, dreams, and desires. Now, it's not a real box. It's just a figurative box. But we have these hopes for the relationship, what we expect to get out of the other person that we're in a relationship with or in our family. And we said that's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a good thing. But the problem comes when we take this box of hopes, dreams, and desires and we hand it off to someone else. Here, here are my hopes and dreams, and I want you to fulfill them for me. And we said whenever that happens in a relationship or in a family, it doesn't feel like hopes and dreams and desires to the other person. It, it feels like expectations. It feels like pressure. And we said and when that happens, you wind up in a relationship that's characterized by this debt-debtor kind of relationship. You know, We start bargaining with each other. I will if you will, and I won't if you won't. And we said in an environment like that, it's impossible for love to thrive. It's impossible to recognize gratitude. Why? Because there's no giving going on. We're just trading. We're just making everything fair, and everything works out even. So we said that people who are in happy relationships or people in happy families know three things. And the first thing we said that you know and you live by is that, first of all, you don't owe me anything, but I owe you everything. That's what we learned in week one. And then in week two, we said that happy families are basically in a submission competition. In other words, everybody's racing toward the back of the line. And we said there's one question that characterizes that submission. And I taught you this question, and I said I want you to go out and, and, and ask this question in every relationship and in your families. Anybody remember what that question was? What can I do to help? Yeah, hopefully you're still asking that question in your families and in your relationships. And then last week, we answered this question. We said, well, okay, if I'm, uh, if I'm racing to the back of the line all the time and nobody owes me anything, what do I do with this box of hopes, dreams, and desires? Who's going to help me fulfill all of those things? And we said that happy families, happy relationships know that I don't have to throw my box at another person. You don't have to throw your box at me, and I don't throw my box at you. I can throw all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my desires, my cares and my worries, I can throw those to God. And we talked about what that looks like and how you do that, and that's what we learned last week. And today, I'm going to wrap the whole thing up, and I want to teach you one more thing, one more principle that happy families know, and this one involves a choice. In fact, I think this might be one of the most important choices that you and I wind up making in pretty much every relationship or in any family. It's a choice that you're probably making on a daily basis. In fact, you're probably making this several times a day. But most of us have no idea that we're choosing this particular choice. In fact, when I explain this to you, you're going to push back on it and you're going to say, well, that's not a choice. That's just a reaction. That's just natural. Because, see, to us it doesn't feel like a choice. We feel like it's just the way things are or the way everybody kind of does it, but that's not true. It's actually a choice, and you make it every single time, which means, and this is good news, if it's a choice, you have control over this. You and I, we get to decide in these moments what we choose to do when this happens, and if you'll lean in with me and you'll listen to this principle and you'll really give yourself over to it and just start deciding, 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this choice. I think it can change your relationships. I think it would begin to change your marriage. I think it can begin to change your family and whatever relationship you find yourself in. So before we get to it, I want to set it up, and I want to read to you something that comes from a letter written by the Apostle Paul that we have in our Bibles today. It's known as the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote a series of letters to a church in a city called Corinth, and uh, we believe he wrote at least three letters. We have two of those recorded in our Bibles. And Paul is writing to a new group of Christians. They've just started this whole Christianity thing, but they come from a, well, a particular religious background. He's talking to people who come from a, a background of the Greek and Roman gods. That was pretty much their whole religious experience. They had only ever dealt with Greek and Roman gods. And if you've ever done any study in that area, you kind of know that the God of, of, of the Bible, the Jewish God, the, the, the one true God, well, he's different from the gods of the Greek and the Romans. In fact, uh, the Greek and Roman gods, in, in their experience, they weren't beings that you loved or you worshipped because the gods, they didn't really care about anybody. They mainly just cared about themselves. And it was hard to trust a god like that. Most of the time, the Greek gods, they were just, they were just mad at people. And, and, and you, had to, you had to get on their good side. You had to sacrifice your crops and sometimes even sacrifice your children just to get them to stop being mad at you and to, and to do things for you. But Paul came along and he introduced the one true God. And he said that this God had done something different through Jesus. See, in Jesus, God proved once and for all that I'm not mad at you. You don't have to appease me. You don't have to sacrifice things. You don't have to go through mindless rituals just to get me on your side. That deal is already done. In fact, what Paul was introducing to these new Christians was that the way you love God is you love the things that God loves most. And what God loves most is people. See, in Jesus, he changed it from being just a vertical-type religion. See, it's all about just me getting right with God to a horizontal religion. In other words, it's not just about my relationship with God. It's about the people around me, the you next to you, in other words. Jesus said, everything that God wants, you can sum it up in two statements. Love God and love people. In fact, later on, he would go on to explain that more fully, and the writers of the Scriptures would say, the way that you show your love for God is by loving other people. So Paul writes this letter, and he's introducing this concept to these folks, and he goes through a whole list of topics, and then he comes to a place in this letter where he says, now let me tell you what really, really matters. Let me bear down on what matters the most. And Paul winds up writing what has become one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible. In fact, you probably have heard this before, maybe at a wedding somewhere. It's come, come to be called the love chapter. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So with all of that background that I just shared with you, keep in mind what Paul is saying with these words. He starts in verse 1. He says this. He said, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, or a clanging symbol. See, in their religious tradition, they put a lot of weight on this idea of being able to speak different languages. In fact, many people in their tradition would have said, I, I have the ability to speak in the language of the gods or the language of angels. They put a high value on being able to speak well in public. And what Paul here does is he comes at that idea and he says, look, even if you can do all of that, if you could speak all these languages, it, it doesn't matter if you don't love. If you don't have love, 
I'm just a distraction, no matter what I can say or what I can do. See, this is why you should never judge someone like me or a preacher just based solely on their ability to speak. I mean, if you want to know what type of person that I am, you ask my wife. You ask my kids. You ask my closest friends. Because that's what matters. You watch how well I love the people in my life, and that's how you measure a true Christ follower. That's the measure for me. It's the measure for you, too. Verse 2. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. You ever heard a a Christian say this? They say, I just want to go deep in my faith. I just want to be deep as a Christian. Most of the time when they say that, what they mean is, I want to have a lot of knowledge. And Paul says here, knowledge is not the deal. In fact, knowledge does not equal deep. It's something else. I once heard someone put it this way. They said, you're only as deep as the last person you loved. And then he goes on to say, look, it's not, it's not about knowledge, and it's also not about how much faith you have. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that refreshing. Because if you're like me, there are a lot of days when my faith just seems so small to me. And Paul here says, look, even if your faith was as big as, as, as could move a mountain, if you didn't have love, it wouldn't matter. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Now this gets right at the heart of something that's known in Christian circles as the prosperity gospel. It's this idea that if I give God enough of my money, then he'll reward me. He'll pay me back ten times what I give him. And Paul says clearly right here, that's not love. And love's the deal. See, giving to get something in return, that's not what love does. Love gives without expecting anything in return. So you can, you can give and expect something in return. You can call that what you want, but you, but you can't call it love. And that's not the big deal. So Paul goes on and on, and he talks about, you got to have love, have love, have love. And it's like, okay, Paul, we get it. But what does it mean to have love? And it's like he says, let me show you, because he goes super practical in this next section. He shows us that love is something that's not just internal. It's not just a feeling or a sentiment. It's not just a, a vertical thing. It's not just existing between me and God. It's external. It's action. And he, and he describes what love actually looks like in verse 4. He says, love is patient. See, love waits for the other person. Love doesn't force my timetable onto you. Love is kind, he says, which means I defer to you. You go first. I go to the back of the line. Your needs come ahead of mine. It does not envy. Man, that's huge. Love doesn't is not jealous of what you have that I don't or what you can do that I can't. It's not happy when I win if it comes at your expense. Love doesn't secretly hope that you come into some misfortune so that I can feel better about myself. He says love is, does not boast. It's not proud. Love doesn't play this game of trying to one-up the other person. It doesn't dishonor others. See, if there's something that I could do or say that makes you less in my eyes or in anybody else's, I choose not to do it. I choose not to say it because love seeks to honor the other person above myself. Love is not self-seeking. Love doesn't always walk around saying, well, what about me? Where's mine at? 
No, it's, it's always about what can I do for you. It's that question we learn. What can I do to help? Love is not easily angered. Oh, man, I want to talk about this for a second because this is so huge in our world right now. See, if everything you read on the internet or everything you hear in our society makes you offended, you're not a loving person. Because love is not easily offended. It's not easily angered. Loving people just don't get offended very easily. See, loving people aren't just people who sit right on the edge of anger or offense all the time, just waiting to hear something that will just send them over the edge so that they can just pounce on it. And I'll tell you why that's true. It's mainly because loving people realize that life's not all about them. And when life's not all about you and everything doesn't revolve around you, what's the point in being offended? Why would you get offended if life doesn't revolve around you? See, loving people are not easily angered. They don't get offended easily. They don't just sit at that place where offense is just right there, ready to go off. Love keeps no record of wrongs. See, love's not constantly trying to catch you doing something wrong so that I can pounce on it, I can punish you, or I can withhold my affection. Love doesn't do that. And then he says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And then Paul wraps up with this rapid list of things that love always does, without exception. Not some of the time, all the time. He says it always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, I want you to look at that list for a second because there's one uh, attribute in that list that if you think about it, makes no sense. It's the one that when I read it to people and we get to discussing it, people go, I'm not so sure about that one because that one's a little bit, well, it's a little bit unrealistic. Have you figured it out yet? It's that second one. See it? Always trusts. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, <laughs> always trust i mean all the other ones make sense i get that love always protects i mean that's keeping someone else from coming into some harm i get that love does that i get always hopes because love should stay positive and always look toward the future and think that things are going to get better that's a good thing that's what love ought to do love perseveres yeah i get that that's about when things get tough you know you just don't quit you, you stay in there that's what love does it keeps going but always trust i'm not even sure that's wise who would do that? In fact, if you read this uh, verse in some translations of the Bible, it actually says, love always believes, or in some translations, love believes all things. And the idea that Paul is after here is that love will always default towards trust in every circumstance. And that skill, that principle, that's what happy families know. That's what happy relationships do. And that's the choice that I was talking about just a few minutes ago. That's the choice that I get to make every single day in my relationships with other people. And I believe it's the choice that changes everything. Now, I want to explain how this works out in real life so that we can get really practical on this. Here's how it works. In every relationship in your life, you're going to come across moments where your expectations are not going to meet uh, your experience. In other words, there's going to be something that someone does that you would not expect them to do, you know, or, or something that they were supposed to have done and they don't come through. In other words, you have some expectations and your experience doesn't match with your expectations. 
He said he'd be here on time, and he's late. She said that she'd come through for me on this one thing, and she didn't do it. I thought they'd never, but they still did. And there's a gap every single time between what you experience and what you expected to happen. There's a gap there. And you don't have any explanation for what goes in that gap. You don't know the reason why. Now, every single time you have that gap between your experience and your expectation, you and I, we choose to fill in that gap with something. And we have two choices to fill it in. Here they are. You either believe the best about the situation or you just assume the worst. But the fact remains, it's a choice every single time. Now, like I said earlier, we don't think it's a choice, mainly because it just feels like a natural reaction to us. Now, why does it feel like a natural reaction? Well, it's simple. Because when my expectations don't get met, I get hurt. I get disappointed. And that's a negative emotion that rises up in me. And when I get that negative emotion, it just feels normal to match that negative emotion with a negative motive. See, they hurt me because they wanted to hurt me. Or they disappointed me because they meant to. Or they disappointed me because they were just lazy. Or they just didn't think about me. Or, or she just self-absorbed. They're just not too smart. It's always something negative. Because, again, it's a hurtful emotion in me. And so I match that with a negative motive. He was just lazy. He was just selfish. He was just inconsiderate. But happy families, happy relationships, make the choice that's the opposite. Happy families believe the best every single time. They do what love always does. Love always trusts. Love believes all things until it just can't believe it anymore. Now, let me stop right there because I know you've got some what-ifs and you've got some pushbacks. And, and, and trust me, I do too. There's, there's a lot of nuance in this thing, and, and I want to talk about that. But before you, before you push back too hard, let me just share some facts with you, okay? Let's just talk. Let's talk reality just for a moment. Did you know that several years ago they did a study on married couples who'd been married for a really long time and who had stayed happy for a very long time? And what they wanted to find out is, what are these happy couples doing that the unhappy couples just aren't doing or just won't do? What is it? What's the key ingredient? What's the secret sauce that keeps them happy over the long haul? And they came in with some assumptions, which I would have some assumptions too. Their theory was that probably what's going on is after the honeymoon period's over, you know the honeymoon period when everything's great and everybody's happy, and then you sort of settle into real life, they assumed that most people who were happy probably had lowered their expectations. In other words, they got to the point where they said, you know what, it's not as great as I thought it was going to be, but you know, that's okay. I can, I can just settle. I'll just lower my expectations. I'll just... It's okay, I'll just sort of get, go along to get along, and, and we'll just be happy, you know? It's like they just push through and they just decide, I'm going to make things work. It's, it's probably as good as it's going to get. That was their assumption. But what they were shocked to find out is, it was actually the complete opposite. They found that couples who were the happiest for the longest actually had not lowered their opinion or their expectations of their spouse, they actually had a higher opinion of their spouse. In fact, what they found was they had a higher opinion of their spouse or their partner than their spouse had of themselves. 
In fact, it got to the point where they said their beliefs about their spouse were almost to the point where they were just flat out unrealistic. They were delusional almost. One of the researchers even used this phrase. He said, it's almost like the old saying really is true. Love is blind. (laughs) And so at the end of the study, they came out with a recommendation. And they concluded from their study, they said, as a couple, here's what you ought to do. If you want to stay happy for the longest amount of time, find the most generous explanation for your spouse's behavior and just believe it. Whenever you don't understand why your spouse or your partner did what they did, Find the most generous explanation, the most positive. Believe the best and just believe that. It's interesting because that's what Paul said 2,000 years ago. And and, and I want to just say right here, I know this is difficult for us to put into practice. And I'll tell you why. Because we all have baggage, don't we? I mean, we've all got a history. We've had experiences in the past, and it makes it hard for us to trust other people. I get that. You've got triggers, and I've got triggers of negative emotions in us when people do things or say certain things. But even with all of that stuff to be taken into account, regardless of what you might feel like in the situation, you really do have a choice every single time what you fill in that gap with. I'm still in charge of what I decide to put in the gap between my expectations and my experiences. And I think it actually makes sense when you go back and you read what Paul said about what love does. Remember what he said. He said, love does not delight in evil. It rejoices in finding out the truth. So what that means is, if I love you, I'm not just walking around trying to catch you doing something wrong. I'm not assuming whenever I hear something about you and you don't meet my expectations, I don't just always assume the most negative thing. Or that you intended it to be that way. Even when I get hurt. Even when I'm disappointed by you. Love doesn't constantly go towards the suspicious part. He says love always protects. Think about that phrase for a moment. Love means I protect you from suspicion. Every time. Because you know this is true. If you've ever had that moment where something didn't go your way. And you filled it in with the most, the worst thing. You assumed the worst about that person. I mean... <laughs> That does as much damage to a relationship as the thing that they actually did does damage to your relationship. Whenever I I place negative in that gap, it hurts the relationship and it hurts the person as much or more sometimes as whatever they did or didn't do. Let me illustrate it this way for you. Let's let's imagine for a second a husband has a a, a party or a, a meeting with his boss that he's going to. It's a dinner party. And he wants to really make a good impression. And he invites his wife to come with him. He says, I want you to bring your wife. Bring her over. And so they're all supposed to go over there, and he's he's really trying to make an impression and get a raise from his boss or whatever it is. So he tells his wife, I really need you at this this, uh, meeting. I really need you to come have dinner with us, and I need you here at this time. Can you make it? And she says, of course, I'll make it. I'll do this for you. I'll leave right after work. I'll meet you there, and I'll be there. So the husband shows up. His wife's not there. In fact, his wife is late. She's not only late, she's 30 minutes late. It's gotten to the point where they've already sat down to have the meal. They don't know where she's at. He's tried calling her. She doesn't answer her phone. Now, in that moment, the husband's getting angry. He's got some ideas for why his wife is standing him up right now. And he's, he's having to make excuses with his boss. He's apologized for her. But inside, he's just so angry. And so he doesn't know what to do. So he walks out of the room, and he calls her one more time. She doesn't answer. 
And by this point, he's just so angry. He's filled in that gap with all these reasons why she's, she's just screwed him over. And so the voicemail picks up, and he lets her have it. How inconsiderate she could be. How you could mess this up for me. This was so important. You knew this mattered to me. And he leaves her that voicemail. Now, question. Even if he found out later that she did it all on purpose, that she was really, just really trying to, to mess him up, okay? Did his reaction, did that voicemail help the relationship or hurt the relationship? And what if he finds out later that her phone died and she got stuck in traffic and it wasn't her fault? Now what has his reaction done to the relationship? See, now it's even worse. But what if, what if he chose differently? What if he believed the best instead of assuming the worst? Then, even if he finds out later that it was the worst possible thing, she really was selfish. She really did just blow him off. She was really sitting at home eating ice cream. She didn't want to be with him anyway. What did he do to the relationship? Well, he certainly didn't harm it by his reaction. See, that's what I mean by love protecting the relationship from suspicion. Even in the worst case scenario, you're better off believing the best. Love always trusts, see? Love chooses that generous ex explanation. Love always hopes, right? Love trends toward positive. It doesn't go negative. And love always perseveres. See, that means even when there's that baggage from my past and there's that doubt in my heart over what they did or what they said or didn't do, love doesn't ever give up on the other person. Love is just determined to always trust. So that's the question. And that's the challenge, isn't it? What am I choosing to put in that gap? Because again, it's always a choice. I get to decide. Do I believe the best or do I assume the worst? And listen, if you're still having trouble with this and you're still arguing with me in your head and you've got all the what ifs, again, I get it. I understand. But let me just ask you this question. What's your alternative? I mean, really, if you don't want to believe the best, what other options do you have? Well, basically, you're going to wind up doing this. You're going to delight in uncovering the other person's mistakes. <laughs> you're, you're going to thrive on speculating what they meant and why they did what they did. You're going to constantly assume the worst, and you're just going to embrace doubt about the other person. And listen, I don't know. Maybe there are a lot of people here that are much smarter than me. I'm sure there are. But I cannot figure out how that reaction helps a relationship. Even if I'm right and they're 100% wrong, I don't understand how assuming the worst actually shows love or protects or, or, or encourages a relationship between two people. Because, see, it always assuming the worst always puts me in a negative space, even before I've even had a conversation about what's gone wrong in the relationship. My point is I just think there's a better way. And I'm convinced that that's the way of love. I think that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand here about what love does. Now, does that mean I don't ever have a tough conversation? Does it mean that I just sort of put the blinders on and I just let bad behavior go on all around me? Of course not. Because, see, that would be just as unloving. See, that, that's not what love does either. Because, see, what, what happens is when I finally come to the place where I realize that someone was out of line or there's been bad behavior or, or, or I just can't believe the best about someone any longer, that's when love 
leads me to confront them. It leads me to, to correct bad behavior. But I always do it with love. I always do it with humility. But the point I'm making is, I don't ever start there. That's not where I go to first. That's actually the last place I let my mind go to. Because when you truly love someone, you always believe the best about them in every circumstance until the circumstance will not let you believe the best any longer. And then, even when I find out the worst, I practice love. I do everything I can to take that relationship and bring it back to peace, bring it back to harmony. And then... I go back to believing the best once again. So, that's my challenge to you. For me, for you, every child, every parent here, every husband, every wife, everybody in every relationship that you wind up in in your week. Just Let's just do this for one week. Let's just, for one week, even, even if it doesn't feel right, when something doesn't go your way, when your expectations are not met, when someone you love disappoints you and you feel that emotion rise up in you, make the choice to trust them. Choose to believe the best before you go to assuming the worst. Even if it makes you feel vulnerable, even if you think, oh, this is just naive, just try it. Do it anyway. And then you just act and speak according to, to believing the best, whatever that looks like. And, and if you don't want to do this, or if you think it's stupid, and, and, and you don't think it's going to work, just try it for seven days, and then if you don't like it, you can go back to doing whatever it was you were doing the week before. I don't care. But just for the next seven days, try this. Try something different. Choose trust, and just, just observe. Just watch what happens, and see if you don't find that there's a little bit more harmony. There's a little bit more peace. There's a little bit more love in your house, in your family, in your relationships. Because, see, here's the truth. Trust always equals acceptance. That's what trust communicates to another person. It says, I accept you. And you know what acceptance does? Acceptance draws people towards you rather than pushing them away. So if there's distance in your family, there's distance in your relationship, I guarantee you it will only be fixed with trust and acceptance. Now, it may not happen overnight, but acceptance is the only road back to being close again because acceptance is the way of love. And it really is a choice every single time. Let's pray together. God, this one's difficult. A lot of the stuff we've learned in this series has been difficult, but I think this one really is because it feels so unnatural to us. But God, when we find ourselves disappointed and hurt this week and there's a gap in our experience and what we expected, would you help us to have the presence of mind to choose the way of love, to believe all things, to always trust until we just can't anymore, to believe the best about the people that we love so much, not for the sake of our own selves, but for the sake of the relationship so that we might guard that relationship God, give us the strength and the wisdom to do this. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you here next week.